If you want to see the impact that faith can have at work, you're in the right place. Because on this episode of the 11th Hour with Engage Work Faith, Nicole shares her story of how a Christian friend in the workplace was instrumental in moving her from Google-based ideas of God to the confronting thought that Christianity was an invitation to trust Jesus as the source of her peace and identity. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Yes, I'm really glad to have you along today. I was talking to another young worker and they said, Darren, if you're going to do a podcast, you need more stories of people. I think you fit the bill, having heard a little bit about your story. So I'm excited to get into that and work our way through it. But before we do that, I thought I'd ask you a few questions just to to get to know Nicole Mm -hmm. outside the work sphere. And I thought I'd try and stump you with a good question on the spot. No, it's not a hard one. (laughs) If you were surprised by an extra day off, and it can be with or without your husband, because I understand you're married, Mm -hmm. um, how would you spend that day? That is a great question. It would definitely be with my husband because he's good fun. And I've been married for two years, so we're not quite sick of each other just yet. When I have days off, I tend to fill them up and I should not do that because I really enjoy my days when I have nothing to do. So I would say I probably would stay home. I'd have a couple of cups of coffee um, or tea and I'd put the fire on and read a book. Mm, Yeah. Okay. And I would get my husband to do the same thing with me. That's right. Is that currently difficult to get you both doing that at the same time? It can be, yes. We tend to be quite busy at this stage. Other than reading a book and a quiet spot with a cup of coffee, which sounds mm-hmm. all right to me too, mm-hmm. uh, what would you do just to, to fill your time to sort of de-stress when you're not at work? I do, I do like to read. I like to go for walks. And I actually like colouring in when I remember to do it. Actually, those you know adult colouring books with flowers and animals and whatnot in there. It just, it kind of gives me that flow of just being able to sit and focus on one thing at one time. So I quite enjoy that. You don't need an excuse with an adult colouring book, but I do because I'm colouring in the kids' ones. Nice. Tell us a bit about leaving school and deciding what to study and so forth. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of my year 12, I was quite unsure about what to do, as I'm sure most young people are. And I actually decided to go into teaching, which absolutely loved it I wasn't sure if I would and the further along I went in my degree the more excited I became about being a teacher and being an educator of young people during my degree I did a bit of work in schools and then was ready to go when I finished okay part of the reason we've got you on the podcast today is to talk about how work and faith um, intersect and overlap and how they're important to each other And I wanted to get your story on your faith journey and coming to discover Jesus and how that all fit together. What was your stage of life in thinking about spirituality or thoughts on God? How did your family affect that as well? All great questions. When I was younger, when I was in high school, I did a lot of Googling about different kinds of religion. I think I always had a perspective that there was something I definitely wasn't an atheist. I didn't, I didn't believe that there was nothing and that, you know, everything just kind of happened. I believed that there was, there was a creator and there was, there was some source of energy that existed. But I didn't know what language to put on that. And as far as Christianity was concerned, I thought that they all believed that, or that we <laughs> now, spoiler alert, all believed that God was just a big man in the sky and pointing fingers and um, getting angry with people when they stepped out of line. So as I 
kind of became an adult, I still maintained a lot of those beliefs. I never went to church. I never went to a Christian school or anything like that. My family were lovely um, and they had really great values that they brought me up with, you know, to be compassionate and empathetic. And Mm. yeah, stepping into adulthood, I still wasn't really sure about what I thought. We talked about um, kind of conspiracy type things, you know, like (laughs) my mom always liked watching the Alison Dubois TV show, who's a psychic. And, you know, so there was kind of the, the presence of that, but we didn't take it particularly seriously. Okay. Yeah. You've gone to Google, which is the best place to go for most things. Obviously. That's how you find out if you've either got the, a cold, common cold when you're sick or you're about to die. And what did you feel like some of your speed humps or roadblocks to perhaps considering God seriously in your journey? Part of me felt like the Christian God wasn't cool enough, which now <laughs> seems absurd. I was, I was really kind of after something unique and edgy going to Google, I wanted to find other people that believed in kind of this energy force. And so that led me down the path of, you know, tarot cards and (laughs) crystals. And uh, I didn't get very far down that path before realizing that it didn't seem like a reflection of the truth. Did you sort of just go on cruise control for a while? Yes. There were kind of small periods at a time, like, like a week where I would be hunting and I'd be Googling and trying to find things out. And then I would kind of go on with life. What um, kick-started that change for you? Uh, when, as part of my teaching degree, I had to undertake a couple of different teaching placements. And so one of those placements um, was at Tyndale Christian College in Salisbury. When I found out that that's where I was placed, I was a little bit shocked and thought, I actually thought that I would have to get placed somewhere else because they wouldn't possibly be interested in having me be there with them. I stepped into that space. It was a five-week teaching placement and it was the first time that I had ever been in an institutional context where people were aiming to glorify God. That's a good sort of summary to glorify God, but it's kind of a, a fairly Christian term now that you, you've come to learn some lingo. What was it? That's true. Was it a different term that, or a different thought as you approached going into the school? Yes, there were some lessons that I got to sit in on um, that were around scripture because part of that was me observing the teaching lessons. I started to notice that they were very interested in how people behave and how people think and and where their hearts are at that leads to that behaviour. I guess that that lingo of glorifying God, um, I didn't know that that's what that was at the time. They were pursuing goodness in a way that I hadn't seen before. And then how did it play forward from there? I ended my teaching placement a little bit shaken in my thinking, but not, not fully changed at that point. What proceeded was the following, over the following months, was that God was pursuing me, and which I didn't realise at the time. One of the um, girls that I was on placement with, her name's Tori, she um, is a Christian and she was at the time as well. I knew that about her and was able to kind of verbally process some of my thoughts with her and ask a couple of questions as well. And I remember one day we had um, we had a worship session every, I think, th- Friday, Thursday or Friday mornings at, at the school. We had a worship session before the day started. And I remember coming out of one of those worship sessions and I said to her, Tori, I don't feel worship but today I understood it and 
that those were the kind of things that were happening that I started to kind of understand what people were talking about or actually feel feel things that I didn't necessarily know and so continuing um, through that placement and then more so afterwards I would actually be asking Tori more questions and um, catching up with her and she was really instrumental in actually inviting me to church in the first place um, and you know like Nicole you know if you've got questions you can come to church because if you want to learn about God that's what we do there and yeah. I was like oh no 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to church I'm never going to go to church <laughs> In attending those school worship times where I guess they would sing and perhaps read some Bible. Mm-hmm. What was it like going along to the first one or two of those? Was that a strange experience for you? Very strange, yes. Very strange and very isolating. I found that my journey from start to finish was a constant battle of feeling isolated and either being angry that I was isolated or desperately wanting to be included in what was happening because I could see that it was good. And that was something that that was something that transitioned as I went through my journey, as I started actually quite resentful um, and quite kind of sarcastic about how isolated I felt from these worship sessions. On reflecting now, were there some things that helped in that? Was it your friend? It it was my friend. It was it was also it's also important to recognise though that the isolation feeling and the, the other feelings that accompanied that, that was all coming from me. It was not coming from any of the people that I was interacting with. In the workplace there at the school, everyone was lovely. They would explain things that, and, and they would avoid the, those kind of lingo words where they could. Just by the people there being themselves and being kind, the, the, the anger that I felt was not directed towards the people. It was directed towards the situation um, and partially myself, I think. Um, Yeah, that's really helpful. And if you remember your first appearance at church, can you tell us what that was like? Actually, Tori was fantastic because she offered to pick me up and drop me off at home so that I could arrive with a friend and leave with a friend. And that um, I would recommend anyone inviting someone to church for the first time would offer that. I don't remember a whole lot else about the service or anything the first time that I went, except that I really enjoyed the worship, and I still do. But one thing that does stand out to me about the first few weeks that I attended church was the same isolation. I could see there was a community that was so so integrated and so loving and so generous, and I so desperately wanted to call myself one of them. I think the first thing that I loved about God was his people. And the stats actually bear that out. They ask people what's compelling about um, the Christian faith. There's been surveys done on this. And Mm -hmm. seeing genuine worship of Christians around them is a real driver towards seeing Christianity as compelling. There you go. We like to see authentic worship in action. That's right. Which is part of your story. And that's good to hear the process. What came next for you as you wrestled with that? The next phase was that I had to decide which group I wanted to be a part of. I needed to decide also whether I believed in God, whether there was actually somebody there or something there, and mm. which now I know that it's a somebody. I had to decide if I wanted to leave the group of my family and the people that I was really close to at the time. I didn't know anybody who was a Christian. I needed to decide whether, that, whether my experiences were good enough and, and were truthful enough that it would it would be good enough for me to to leave the life that I was living. 
Mm, so you felt an attraction to the people that you'd met and seen their authentic worship, but you also felt like you might lose perhaps some of your identity of where you'd come from. Yeah. Um, has that sort of actualized in life? Do you feel like there's now some people you were closer to that you've separated more from? Is- it has actualized, not necessarily in a in a bad way, in some cases a very good way. My relationships with the people around me, particularly my family, have changed quite a bit. I really struggle to have disagreements with my family in a productive way because it's very easy for me to, and any Christian I think, to be perceived as being judgmental. Mm which is exactly the opposite of what we ought to be coming across as if we look at Jesus. God has revealed to me that it's very hard to love somebody and judge them at the same time. I think that I think a lot of people in my life just love me and accept me as I am, which is fantastic. But I mean, when one of the things that you do with friends is go out drinking and you realize that you can't glorify God if you're drunk. (laughs) Um, So it's those kind of fundamental (laughs) life changes that I was making um, and that I felt compelled to make that did shift some of the conversations and gossip. Gossiping is not um, what I engage with anymore. I mean, we all make mistakes, but I intentionally set out to not engage in those negative conversations and when, when those are the predominant conversations you have with someone, that can actually significantly change your relationship. That's natural that there was some drift there. And um, So why don't you just step us through sort of encountering Jesus, I guess, because I guess you go from your Google conceptions mm-hmm. of who God is, this uh, bearded great white man in the sky pointing the finger. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What was? Tell us about the shift then. There were a couple of different events, I suppose, that stood out in my mind. One of them is um, when I prayed for the first time. I was kind of sitting in my backyard and um, I had the book of Luke that I had been given at church um, because we were looking through that at the time. And so I read a couple of chapters and thought that it's not as as dull and boring as I expected it would be. It was taking too long. I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to read through the whole thing. Well, Luke's um, the longest, isn't it, out of the Gospels? So. Yeah, yeah. I uh, stopped reading and I just kind of said, like, God, if you're there, show me. And then I think a leaf fell from the tree and I was like, oh, maybe that was God. And I was like, no, that wouldn't have been God. <laughs> um, and I went back inside and actually found the bracelet that I got at my christening. My grandparents have quite a tradition, traditional approach to religion. And so, yeah, I was christened as a baby and I found that bracelet shortly after I had asked God to reveal himself. Gradually, more and more of those kind of little events came about. And, you know, even people came to my door asking, do you believe in God? And I'm not sure what, you know, denomination they were from or anything. There were a lot of things that I just felt pursued and I felt um, kind of like I was being backed into a corner. And also at the same time, I was pressuring myself to make that decision of, Am I going to believe this? Am I going to believe that God is true and he is real? And I think I I actually for a long time thought that that would be the easy thing to believe, which now I know is it's a little bit different than that. It's it's very difficult to be a follower of Christ and we have to give up so much and we we get to give up so much. So is there a moment you sort of realise this is more than a fact-finding mission on Google? There's actually personal implications yeah, I would say that probably happened after. Mm, okay. The day that I did become a Christian, 
Um, I, it was a Sunday and I'd been to church that morning. Um, and I know a lot of people say that the song Oceans is like what, you know, did it for them. But <laughs> that's definitely where I was at as well. And that line, um, to for the spirit, take me deeper than my feet can ever wander. And I just thought that it was kind of a submission of, of looking for the facts in a way. Mm. And the, the message that day was about, of course, there are going to be arguments. There will always be arguments. But if we are unified in God and in Jesus, we can do those arguments better. And I thought that was quite a compelling reason to actually give this whole Christianity thing a try. Yes. And I remember sitting in my lounge room and just, I just was all by myself and I had my Bible open to the passage that we looked at about kind of, you know, arguments and, and, and um, arguing well and, and being role models in our faith. And I actually just put my hands up in the air and I was like, fine. <laughs> and so that was me actually letting go and submitting and just thinking that I've been running for a while now. It seemed like a while. It was only like a few months. But for me, it was a long time that I had been running away from God and that he was catching up to me closer and closer and closer. And at, at that point, I don't think I knew what the other option was. I either had to submit to this being, this, this God that was pursuing me and wanted a relationship with me. And my other option, I didn't really know what that was. I just had to submit. Okay, that's a really interesting way of putting it. How would you then describe sort of life before and after? Was It's not always a dramatic um, shift for people. It's sort of a, a slow move into belief and they're not certain when it um, when things change, but they're now very aware that things have changed. For you, it sounds like it's more of a distinct mm-hmm. time. Um, does that mean you're able to notice more so the before and the after picture, as it were? Yes, very much so. I can very clearly see the before and after picture. And I think that's something that gives me strength in my faith because my husband, um, Nick, he grew up in a Christian home. And for him, the lines are blurred as to, you know, he um, he prayed and accepted Jesus as his saviour when he was six. <laughs> and okay, so yeah. that's, you know, for me, I was, I was a week away from being 21. And there's a very clear part in my life where I can see kind of my my old life as black and white and my current life with Jesus as colour. And it's very easy for me to know that I'm never going back to black and white. I have absolutely no interest in losing what I have found. Part of my journey is that God knows me and he knows that I like to explore the options. But growing up the way that I did without him has left me feeling I know exactly what that's like and I have no interest in going back to a life without him. I'm not sure if I've heard that analogy before of black and white and colour and I get a little bit about what you mean, but can you sort of flesh it out a little bit? Yes, my my perception of the world now makes sense and there are things that didn't used to make sense, but now they do. And, and that's kind of what I mean, I suppose, by colour. When you see the world in colour, it all makes sense and, and there are details that, you had no idea existed before. Like there are things that happen in my life and things that um, I feel and things that I know to be true and things that happen in the world that I can make sense of better now that I have God. That's a helpful explanation. I think that really adds flesh to the bones of the analogy and it's a really good one. Did you come up with that or did you pinch that one, black and white versus colour? I, I believe I came up with it. 
but I don't, if someone out there is listening to this and I did not come <laughs> up with it, please let me know. <laughs> well, I don't know if I've heard it put that way before. I guess there's I've, the blind, but now I see. Yes, that's right. Maybe Black that's, and white versus yeah. colour. Yeah. We'll credit you in the future until someone steps forward, I Sounds think, is how it will work. <laughs> so we mentioned at the start that you now work for Encounter Youth, and obviously there's youth in the name, but what does Encounter Youth do? Encounter Youth aim to um, reach out to young people. They have three primary methods of that kind of outreach. Um, the method that I'm involved with is the education um, kind of section. I go out into different schools and speak to young people all over the state. We've also got uh, the Hindley Street program and um, schoolies program. And so they are um, quite hands-on as far as we are recruiting volunteers that actually want to help out at in, in Highley Street every Saturday night um, between about 11pm and 5am, which sounds like a brutal shift to me, but <laughs> um, a lot of people do it, so that's great. Um, and then at the Schoolies Festival as well. Highley Street's a little bit different because um, it is kind of reaching that broader group of young adults as well. And, and obviously, if there's somebody on the street that needs help, but they're, you know, 50, <laughs> they're not going to turn a blind eye. Um, but yeah, it is, it's great. My role in particular to be out in schools and, um, yeah, speaking with young people kind of proactively and actually before they find themselves in a position where they need some help. Um, it's, yeah, it's really great. I was imagining on Hindley Street you had like a reverse carding system where you're actually too old. Like, no, I can't help you. Sorry. <laughs> like, no, that's you? good. You don't do that. <laughs> no. Uh, and have you ever volunteered yourself? I did, yeah. So that was my first um, participation in what Encounter Youth are doing. That was really cool to be a part of that um, on the volunteer side of things rather than the school leaver celebrating. Yeah, that um, then led to me getting an email like because I was on the emailing list around the position that I'm in now. And it sounds like you can still volunteer now. So if anyone's listening and you want to find out what Encounter Youth are all about, then hit up the website and mm -hmm. find out how to volunteer. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a bit about the educator role you're feeling now. I was um, just finishing up my first year of teaching in uh, Strathalbyn at the, the public school there, Eastern Flurio. And I felt that the opportunity to work in a Christian organisation would be very exciting, particularly um, because my role is, is educating young people on alcohol and other drugs because of kind of my, my personal history and my family history. Um, that's an issue that's quite close to my heart. So, so would you say that sort of calling and urge to apply, that's part of your faith speaking there and coming to work with you? Yes, absolutely. Yep. And um, it's great that you get to use your psychology background, your education background to then bring with you to educate young people on those difficult decisions in life, how to avoid those um, tough spots mm -hmm. when your decisions follow you. I've got one more question for you before we wrap up because it's been really good to chat with you. Yeah. Really hits the nail on the head for the podcast hearing how faith and work overlap. And for mm -hmm. you, that's how you discovered more about the faith in God through your friend and through the workplace. What do you think is the most important thing you can do to make sure that your faith comes with you to work, that you don't sort of leave it at the door? 
it doesn't always work out, but my, <laughs> my goal is always to start the day with God. And that for me can look like just actually getting up early. And sometimes God actually wakes me up early. He'll wake me up, you know, 10 minutes before I've set my alarm, like, okay, now it's time to, you know, get up and we're going to pray. And um, so that's really great. I think and that if I'm allowed to say two, <laughs> You're to actually have, two. <laughs> have, have that time before arriving at work, but also to have that time during work. And whether that is within a Christian context is really easy because we can check in with each other. However, even, you know, at, at my time working in government schools, just actually, you know, having a Bible in, in the office, having, you know, an app that kind of is a notification um, or even music uh, on the on um, the bus this morning in, I was listening to It Is Well. And it's just kind of those little touch points that I think are really, really helpful throughout the day to maintain that focus on God and remember that our, our list isn't... Um, <laughs> You know, God should be at the top of our list. And that's, that's a really the most good reminder. Mm. And unprompted, you've mentioned prayer, which would, um, my colleague Cheryl would love that because she heads up um, organising our two or more groups, which are for workers. So prayer is really vital to it. And it sounds like that's what sort of drives you into today as well. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Not everyone's comfortable doing that, and you've done it really well. Great. Thank you so much for having me. You've been exploring how faith and work overlap on the 11th Hour podcast. Check out our website, engageworkfaith.org.au, to find resources on the topics we cover and keep up to date with our latest events. Thanks for joining us on this episode.